Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, a graduate school professor, a former seminary president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. If you have been listening to this podcast for a bit, you've probably heard us say half a dozen times already, we could dedicate an entirely different podcast podcast episode to whatever, such and such, and such topic. So today we are actually going to do that because in a recent conversation that we had regarding gun violence, we briefly considered the role that school choice might play in a parent's life. And today we are, we're going to expand the scope of that conversation a bit, just essentially to talk about the vast educational landscape that's available in today's society and we're going to consider whether all options are equally valid in terms of their value or mission. So I want to get Jim's input, of course, on what factors a parent should consider as they choose a school for their child or perhaps reconsider their school choice. So let's jump in with a survey because I feel like we're living in a unique time in terms of educational options. Like when I was a kid, school choice was simple. I mean, you just went to the school that you were zoned to go to. I mean, there are a couple of magnet schools and private schools, but that was about it. But as a parent who recently had to send my child to kindergarten, I know that that's not the case anymore. Um, your options may be different than what we have here in Charlotte, North Carolina, but I mean, now you can choose between public schools and private schools, both Christian and non-Christian, charter schools, magnet schools, university model schools, homeschooling. I mean, I'm sure I'm leaving some off um, as well, but it's enough to make a parent's head spin because there are so many choices. So my first question, I guess, would be, Jim, from your cultural research perspective, do you see this variety? That I, I'm going to call this like a food bar menu of schools. Do you see that as a positive trend? I do. I do. I think the more options you can give parents in our contemporary landscape, the better, uh, particularly Christian parents who are, have a, a, their own set of sensitivities on top of the sensitivities that a, a parent that doesn't have faith issues in, at hand. So I think the more options the better for what uh, parents to choose from for their, uh, for their, um, for parents. I think it's best for parents. I think it's best for teachers. I think it's best for students. Great. Well, what you have now, I think, um, are a bunch of parents who did not have a lot of choice in terms of their own schooling, now having to distinguish between a lot of different options, but not really knowing what type of criteria to work with. Um, I'd imagine, and I might be simplifying this, so you feel free to expand my, my thinking, but I imagine there's kind of two buckets of consideration, like what would be best for the parent? I mean, things like logistics and schedule and work and that's that sort of thing. And then like um, what a bucket that's filled with a concern with concerns related to your child and what might be best for them. So I'm curious, like, do you think that both of those buckets are equally weighted or that one should be considered more than the other? I do think there is one that's to be considered more than the other. I think part of parenting is dying to yourself and and for the sake of your child and when what is best for your child on highly significant issues and domains of their life and i would say education would be one of them that when what is best for your child uh, is you know that your convenience takes the back seat and so the 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 
the needs of the parent. Let's talk about the convenience of the parent. It takes a back seat to the needs of that child um, because you're dying to yourself. But again, let me, let me make sure that I'm, I'm contextualizing that or qualifying it would be the better term. To the degree possible, there are parenting situations where what is best for the child is not an option, where parental convenience has to be or, or parental realities have to be considered. Uh, for example, think about a single parent mom or something like that, where there's just, listen, there's just choices they don't have. And they don't need to made, be made feel guilty about that or ashamed about that. Uh, I, I do think most parents do the best that they can with the cards that they have been dealt with. But I do find not, not really terribly often, but you do find parents that have a bit of a callous disregard uh, about educational choices and they just are going to pick the one that's best for them and their schedule and what's easiest for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and they don't really consider a sacrificial approach to their child's education when they could, it, it really was a possibility for them. Mm. Well, let's talk about then like what would be best for someone's child? Like, cause I imagine that we're talking about more than academics. Is that right? Like what else would you have in mind? Yeah. Um, there are at least four areas that are crucial, um, intellectual, social, emotional, and spiritual. Uh, I'm talking beyond the academic. Yeah. So let's talk about each one, intellectual, um, uh, or along with the academic. Intellectual, uh, you're looking for age appropriate, an age appropriate education that your child is getting, um, which means that there can be age inappropriate. So you want age appropriate education. You want competent teachers. You, you want uh, it also to be where it's personally challenging to the child, where it's, it's designed in such a way that a child that might be progressing faster isn't being bored, and the one that is made extra help isn't getting it. And so you really, you really need to be personally challenging, tailored as much as possible, you know, to that child. I know that there's limits to that, but still that's, you know, this is a, we're starting with a blank slate of what you're looking for. So under intellectual, under social, you know, socialization is something that I'll be really honest. I, that is not school's job. I, I hear people talk about schools and socialization and often in relation to homeschooling and all this kind of stuff as pros and cons. And I just want to say, whoa, 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 that, that, that's not the school's responsibility to socialize your child. And heaven help you if that's who you're having socialize your child. Uh, socialization is not something for schools to do, but you want whatever socialization does happen through an educational experience be something that's positive, not negative. So you're looking for that. Third, emotional. Um, in a school setting, uh, there can be negative experiences. There can be negative contexts. There can be uh, the created, such as a bullying situation or something for a particular child. And, and so uh, when you're looking at what's best for your child, you're looking at what, what is the best emotional context. And so you're looking at what's the best intellectually, what's the best socially, what's the best uh, uh, emotionally. And then you are looking for what's best spiritually. Now, again, much like with socialization, it is not a public school's job to do the spiritual formation of a child. But you don't want whatever is happening with the school, whatever is happening with that setting, you don't want it to be adversarial or destructive to what you're trying to accomplish with the spiritual formation of your child. So when I say you're looking at a school and you're evaluating what's best for my child, when I say spiritual, you may say, well, there's a public school that's irrelevant. No, there are some public school settings that are more supportive of what a home is doing with faith, or more, at least they're not being subversive. 
to it. And so I think that these are the four areas that you're looking in terms of what's best for your child. Again, intellectual, social, emotional, and spiritual. Um, I think that's a great, I like what you said in terms of it's not the school's job to provide like the spiritual formation of your child. Um, because I think, but I, I guess I have a follow-up question about that because, um, I think it's easy for parents to compartmentalize the, what, what they send their children to and what they expect to get. So for example, it's like when they're thinking spiritual formation, that only involves a church and that school has no part of that. Like that I'm thinking of schools with relation to their education academically. Um, but what you're saying is yes and no, that no, they're not responsible for that, but they can, but a school certainly can affect your child spiritually without yeah. you realizing. Yeah. Mm. You know, we're, since, since we're, we're talking kind of a 30,000 foot level here about what's best and what's ideal and, and, and at, at, on various levels, let's just go ahead and, and state the obvious, but I hope it's the obvious. What is optimal for your child is for every sphere of your child's life, every sphere, home, school, friends, church, sports, to be this seamless uh, whole, this holistic, uh, integrated, mutually supporting and encouraging thing that, that it, is, it is not compartmentalized, but it's all supporting and reinforcing values and beliefs and behaviors. So that they're not going to like us, uh, you know, their their soccer team practice, and having values, beliefs, and behaviors, you know, subverted and attacked, or or a different set being introduced, and they're not finding that when they go to church, school, hang out with a certain group of friends in the neighborhood, whatever. You're looking for this integrated whole, and so uh, when it comes to education, that's that's terribly important to be thinking about because. Uh, you can't just compartmentalize. You can't bracket it off. You can't just say, well, school's just education. I don't have to worry about it. Whoa. If you think, I mean, no, no. <laughs> You're, they're, they're getting your child six to eight hours a day, five days a week, 40 plus weeks a year. I would call that influential. Mm. I would call that the second most influential force in your child's life, second only to the home and parent. And arguably after they reach adolescence, it may even trump the parent. Um, and so, you know, don't be naive. The key is whatever is happening educationally to not have it undermine the home and, and whatever it is that you've laid as the foundation of the home. I don't care what it is. If, if anything that, that your child is being introduced to or experiencing that is, uh, begins to undermine the values, beliefs, and behaviors of what you're trying to get across at home, then, then th there needs to be parental intervention. Hmm. There needs to be something that stops that. And I don't, it, it's not just school. It could be a friend. It could be a peer relationship. It could be, you know, uh, a, a sports team. It could be any number of things. Um, remember, there's no such thing as a spiritual life. There's just life and it's meant to be lived spiritually. And so you can't bracket school off. You can't bracket anything off from their spiritual life. And so the goal is to not be compartmentalized at all, at all. Well, I think like what I've seen to be a solution to what you've just said and I think in the, in with great intentions is that Christian parents think, okay, well then the only solution is I need to send my child to a Christian school. And then that problem is solved. Is that, I don't think that's what you're suggesting is the only option, but what do you think about that? Well, I, you know, I, I, hmm. let me, let me, let me, let me put it this way. Um, here's, here's the unique challenge that we have of our day. Um, it's not just that we live in a post-Christian world. We do, 
but a world that is increasingly antagonistic toward the Christian faith. Uh, and it's naive to think that various interests and agendas aren't attempting to pursue schools for the embrace of their agendas and their beliefs. Um, in fact, they're wanting to advance their beliefs through school. They're wanting to get to kids at a young age and try to um, not simply educate, but indoctrinate. And that's a fact. That's just a fact. Um, so we, we talked about this some in previous podcasts. We did one on, uh, you know, just how, uh, at what age, you know, do you, do you talk to a kindergartner about transgender issues or, or and, you know, like, 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 why would you want to be talking to a kindergartner about that? What there's an agenda. Um, and, and so, and we can link to that particular podcast in the, in the show notes, but when, you know, as an educator, as someone who was a former president of a graduate school and, and, and who was heavily involved in educating my own kids and such, and have been on boards of schools, uh, I'll tell you right now that when you talk about like a, a graduate institution, a college or university, I used to say this all the time as president, there's only two ways to shape a school, curriculum and teachers. Curriculum and faculty. That's it. That's how you shape a school. Uh, for our kids, I think there's four spiritual influences in schools. So I'll broaden it out. There's curriculum. There's the teachers. There's the peers that they interact with, the social context, uh, which is highly influential. And then fourth, the absence of spirituality. Um now you may, you may, I know we can talk about the presence of spirituality in a Christian school, but I think as profound, if not more profound, and there are actually some studies about this, um, the absence of spirituality, the complete, uh, you know, airbrushing of all things faith is, 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 is loud when it's there. It's just, it's a loud thing. It, it's a, it's an impressionable thing. It, it's not, it's not suddenly making an education um, neutral. It's, it's, it's when you, if you, for example, you rip issues of like the Christian faith, even the church, you try to just take that out of history. Mm. You don't have a lot of history. I mean, certainly from about the year 300 in the West till now, I mean, you're, how do you even talk? I'd even tell the history of the West apart from the Christian faith. You can't. Yeah. So uh, the absence is, is profound. So I don't think a Christian school is the only alternative, but it, somehow this, everything I've just said has got to be addressed. It's got to be addressed in either the school, the whatever educational choice you make, or the home, or both. Now, if you, um, well, I would say anyone who attends Mech, which is the church you pastor in case you're new to the podcast, would know that you and your wife are actually big advocates of homeschooling. Um, you've blogged a lot about this, so we'll definitely feature those blogs in our show notes. But would you care to share a bit about what what went behind that decision for you guys? So you think I'm pro-homeschool? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I want to I nuance this because I, I don't think homeschooling is for everybody. Um, and, and, and not everybody can do it, even who wants to do it. So I, I don't want to just add guilt or shame to these kinds of things. What I do try to do is encourage those who can to strongly consider it because I don't think there's many encouraging voices out there. And there's a lot of people who feel about homeschooling the way I used to feel about homeschooling and the way I used to feel about homeschooling. I, I remember it. I, I thought it was weird. Mm. I was fringe. Uh, I, 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 I just, I don't know. I just, I, I had to wear, I don't know, 
like almost like the way the Amish were or something, you know, I had to dress certain way if I'm going to homeschool or I don't know. It's just weird to me. It doesn't seem like something normal people did. And uh, I went to public schools. I played sports all through school and into college. And, and I, I just, and, um, and um, I just, uh, yeah, I, I just, I didn't get it. And I thought you couldn't even do sports if you did homeschooling and sports was really big in my thinking. My wife, Susan, you're right, was, was very open to it. And um, she uh, was kind of encouraging me to at least look into it with her. And I remember that what started was I, I, I met some homeschooled kids. And I was impressed. Hmm. I was impressed with how they interacted with adults. I was impressed with how they interacted with themselves, their, you know, their, their siblings. And I was just impressed. And, and, and I liked what I saw. And then I remember, <laughs> this is obviously many, many years ago. Um, uh, I was serving at a church we were attending. I was serving in the nursery. And, and the, one, the woman I was serving with was one of my wife's friends who was a homeschooler. So I thought, I got her. I got this, I got this gal for an hour. And bless her heart, I grilled her. And I, <laughs> I, I, I just grilled her for an hour while I was rocking babies, you know. And, and um, she was very patient. She probably went home and got into a fetal position after my cross-examination. But I, but she gave good answers, and and she, they were reasoned, they were calm, they were sane, they were rational, they were informed, and it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was good. So, <clears throat> I um, <clears throat> I got past the caricatures, I got past the stereotypes, looked into it, and and then there was so much about it that I liked. I, I liked um, how you know it it allowed a childhood to be preserved. One of the big things that I I see happening in our culture is the disappearance of childhood. And I think that so many times you put kids in public school and they, they're like eight years old going on 13. There's just like this constant peer pressure to be older than you are. You just lose the childhood. And so the thing about homeschooling is an eight-year-old can act like an eight-year-old and they're not being pressured to do otherwise. Uh, I, I was very alarmed at what was happening in public schools and, and uh, the, with the curriculum and, and with some of the peer pressure that was there and culture as a whole. And so there are so many things about it where I didn't, you know, I... And I began to see that that when people would say, "Yeah, but you need to have your child socialized," and and I I I really did not buy that argument at all. As someone who's involved in social sciences, because socialization uh, can be negative or positive, and in the history of of education, and the history of the home, the history of family, history of human beings, um, you know, taking kids away at the age of five or six from their home and putting them into a large group environment with 30 other kids in a classroom and hundreds others in the school for 40 hours a week from that point on until they're out of school at 18 is unheard of in the history of education, in the history of the home. And so that's a novel thing. We make it like that's what it means to be normal, what it means to be socialized. It was never the way people were socialized until very recently. And so I, I felt like the socialization, the, the, the focus of socialization was the home and siblings and, and controlled experiences with other kids and, and other things like that. Socialization is not something that you have to go to school for. In fact, it can be negative. Anyway, I don't mean to get off on that kick, but we ended up for a whole host of other reasons, becoming advocates of homeschooling. It was, it was a very good thing for us. We did end up homeschooling all four of our children uh, through middle school. Then we put them actually in a Christian high school and uh, they all got into you know excellent universities, uh, and, uh, and went to, and, and all four now, it was such a, a good experience for them. All four of our kids that we homeschooled are now homeschooling their kids. 
Uh, not that that you know they needed to do that for us or for our approval, but you know it was it was it was a good thing uh, for for us. Now, because you guys have talked so much about homeschooling and with such a positive you know nature um, throughout Mac, I I've heard on a few occasions of people feeling like, oh man, like. I'm public, I have my kids in public school though, or I don't think I can homeschool and feeling a little bit of guilt about that. And I've just heard you, you just said like homeschooling is not for everyone. So how would you counsel people who are kind of feeling that way? Yeah. And I've tried to say, whenever I do talk about this, when it comes up naturally in a message or anything else, I do try to always add, look, this isn't for everybody. I'm not, you know, it's, it's not like if you don't do this, you're a bad parent and your kid's going to turn out to be in jail one day and, and, you know, or whatever. No, no, no. Homeschooling isn't for everyone. Here's the definition of excellence. And let me just go ahead and tweak it and say, this is the definition of parenting excellence in some ways. It's doing the best you can with what you have. It's doing the best you can with what you're able to do. And there are some people who their own constitution, just just they, they would be maybe terrible homeschoolers. <laughs> No, uh, or their 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 state their their life their their the, the a calling that they have vocationally or an aspect of of uh, vocational necessity, it could be either one of those. Um, and just uh, there's a whole there's so many reasons why it may not be best for someone. The key word in homeschooling is home. That's the key word. That's the that's the secret sauce of homeschooling. And so that's really the secret sauce for all parenting and all education, whether it's a public school, private school, homeschool, is what's happening in the home. I, I know I know parents have got their kids in public schools, and those kids are turning out 50 times better than maybe this this I, I could pinpoint a homeschooling family uh, where where the home is not working as well. So it's it's a school's not going to necessarily be the ultimate thing. It's not like you can. You can just homeschool and automatically the kids are going to be great. Public school, kids are going to be bad. No, 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 no. It, it's what's happening in the home. And then these other things can add or enhance, you know, subtract or enhance accordingly. <laughs> so that's where it's ultimately won or lost. And so while I'm an advocate of homeschooling, because I, I don't know that there's enough advocates out there, uh, my primary advocacy is for an active, engaged, involved home. So I imagine we've got a couple of listeners who are listening to this and not because of this podcast specifically, but who are just second guessing their school choice for their child, um, maybe because of, of recent increase in school violence or particular issues that they're facing related to bullying or negative influence, as you mentioned, are very possible too. At what point do you suggest a parent change the school that they have their child in? Like, is the grass yeah. going to be greener somewhere else? Or do we, is the answer more of, we just need to become better equipped at living in a post-Christian world and knowing how to respond to that with regards to our, what our children are being exposed to or learning? If I had a child in a negative situation in school, I'd pull them out so fast and make your head spin. Okay. I, I, I mean, I think there's times for parental intervention. And I think that, that you, you know, you're in charge, not the school. And, and I think sometimes the best thing you can do for a child is to move them, even if they don't want to be moved, but you know that their peer influences or whatever. I, I, I know that um, you, you'll have people say that, my gosh, if, if uh, parents hadn't pulled me out of eighth grade when they did, I can't imagine where I'd be because I knew the trajectory I was on or the friends that I had or whatever. And so um, I think there's several things that um, a parent would, would want to consider strongly about maybe making a change. Uh, is there bullying going on? And bullying can be a very unique thing. It can be something that's tied to an age, like, okay, the way this, this particular kid was in fourth grade, or they had braces and got teased or whatever. 
Uh, and um, but those braces come off. But if the same kids that bullied him in fourth or there in fifth grade, they might bully him again for no reason. But if you pulled them out at fourth grade and went to a new school, then they maybe they wouldn't be bullied because there wasn't a cultural conditioning or a history of bullying for that child. So the child, you know, you know, um, so I would I would consider if there's a context of bullying for a child, if there's violence in that particular school system or school, if it's, if it's prone to violence, if there's just a lot of guns, a lot of shooting, a lot of gang influence or just there's just what for whatever reason, it's just a school with a bad track record. Um, uh, if 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 there is a school with and you, this happens where uh, a particular educator, a particular teacher, a particular principal, whatever, there's a hostility toward faith. A hostile culture toward faith, uh, maybe a hostility toward Christians in general, um, or certain moral stances. I mean, I, that's grounds to rethink something. Um, if there's poor standards, you know, and and some schools are better than others, mm-hmm. and and uh, and if there's just for whatever reason, it's just that those kids in that school don't test well. That that could be systemic. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you know a teacher-child ratio. If, if that's really out of whack in a way that your kid can't be properly attended to, um, if the opportunities for advanced level courses are minimal and, and you know, are going to hamper a child that wants to take advanced level courses, for example. Now, I just am listing several things. Now, having listed all those as being legitimate for a parent to look at, um, I, I, let's go back to something that we've said two or three times in this podcast. Not every parent has the option of pulling a child out. Yeah. Hey, you know, this is where I, I have geographic issues. I, I, if I pull them out, I can't, I tried to get into this magnet school or this charter school. I couldn't get in it. I don't have the money for this private school over here. I, I'm, I'm zoned for this one. I can't drive over to that. You know, this is not meant about guilt and shame. This is this, I'm, I'm going to keep saying this. This is doing what you can. And if you can do that, these reasons are some of the ones that would be in my thinking legitimate. And if, you know, and, or, and, you know, even if you say, well, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I guess I could, I can't do those other things. I guess I could homeschool, even if it's for a year, I could do that. Well, then, you know, you would hear me say, then I think that's something you should consider. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about though, if, if you can't, if you find yourself in a situation where, you know, you can't change the school. And so are there any like particular topics that you would recommend that parents are prepared to talk about with their children, like thinking that my child might be exposed to these couple of things at school. And maybe rather than the school being the first to talk about these things or just becoming more informed, I guess, is what I guess what I'm trying to ask. Like what, what kind of topics do you think parents might wanna start to think about if they haven't already thought about conversations they might need? Yeah, three come to mind, sex, oh. um, sex, and then sex. <laughs> uh, the What parents don't wanna talk about. But so many things related to sex. I mean, not just talking about puberty stuff and birds and the bees. I'm talking about all things homosexual, uh, trans uh, issues related to gender identity, all those kinds of things. But uh, let me back up. Talking, talking, talking is absolutely crucial to your children and creating a culture of conversation, a culture of communication, a culture within the home where it's okay to talk about these things. And a child can raise things. They're not fearing a reaction or they're not fearing I'm going to get a sermon or they're just like, we can talk, we can engage in, 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 in a way that's, that's, that's winsome and compelling and open and, and inviting. And so, uh, so I, I know that with, with our kids uh, in uh, every day over dinner, weekdays, uh, it would be debrief. And I, my, my question was always the same. What did you learn today? Talk to me about what, what happened. You know, what did you learn? 
And, and then uh, I would throw in different things or ask them leading questions or how'd you feel about that? Or did you learn about this? Well, did you know about da, 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 da? And we just get into all these just really robust conversations. So debrief, make that just a part of what it means to be in the family. <laughs> and um, I would also uh, around that same dinner table and in the home, always be talking about the daily news. Always talk about the daily news and the headlines and, and apologetics issues. And like I say, well, you know, you know, you know, some people would say this about the Christian faith, and but this is this is you know what the reality is, and so you're you're weaving in apologetics and and how to you know reasons for the faith and how that breeds into stuff and about history and talk about politics and 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 through it all, you as parents going into why you believe what you believe, not just what you believe, why you believe it. You're evangelizing. You're being a cultural apologist for your children and helping them know how to think and learn how to think and how you think. Um, and deal with also all the school issues that are coming up. Absolutely. But hey, you have these, ro you have these robust family conversations uh, rooted in faith. <clears throat> and that should actually be happening before the school even gets to the topic. Hmm. Like, like whatever that your child might be hearing in sixth grade. Hey, that's old news. I remember us talking about that back when I was in fourth grade, you know, and, and, and where it's, it's, prioritizing those conversations and, and you're you're the first one to get to that conversation with your child it's not something the school's taking the lead you're taking the lead because it's come up so naturally having said that let me let me give you a, a great example of 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 why of of how important this is um kids going off to college and losing their faith deconstructing um rethinking things wandering away for a season is 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 so common it's become uh, legendary right mm -hmm. What's going on with that? Uh, you know, wh why, why does that happen? And um, I'll give you one of the big reasons. One of the big reasons is, is that these kids go off to college and are hearing about challenges to the Christian faith for the first time in the hands of an intellectual predator hmm. whose goal is to indoctrinate uh, as, as much, if not more than to educate, but they're, let's call them what they are. They're predators. They're, 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 they're really wanting to dismantle this person's faith or dismantle the Christian faith or dismantle sexual, uh, traditional sexual moralities or whatever. And, and, and so they're hearing this for the first time and in the hands of a predator who is often caricaturing the Christian faith. And if there was, you know, a, a, a fellow PhD that they knew of that was sitting in the back of the classroom, they wouldn't dare say half of what they said because half of what they're saying isn't even accurate, but they're having fun in the classroom where they're God. Mm. And, and so, so, so these kids are hearing this stuff for the first time. And, um, and they're sitting there wondering, huh, I've never heard this before. I wonder what else I don't know. I wonder what else no one ever told me. You know, here's this very bright person with a PhD He's telling me this and saying, hey, this is just the way it is. And I'm writing it down as fact because I'm in a college classroom. And, 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 and so, so that, that is what is happening. Other things too, but that is one thing intellectually that's happening. Yeah. Um, no, no, no child should be hearing this stuff for the first time in college. They should be sitting there saying, oh, I know exactly where he's going. Man, that is so bogus. I already know the answer to that one. And that's not even accurate. You know, and I know what I'm going to write my paper on. <laughs> you know? yeah. And 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 so I think that's where. And if someone says, "Oh, that's another good reason for a good private Christian school," I, maybe. But I think it's a better reason for a good private Christian home. 
and where you're having these conversations and you're preparing your children and you're encouraging them to read certain books and, and you're preparing them for these things. So they're not going off to college and hearing this stuff for the first time. And, and they still might sow some oats and there might be, because there's a lot of other issues at college besides intellectual issues. There's relational issues and peer issues and being out from the home and sexual rebellion and all kinds of different things. And, and, you know, we all know what college is like, Yeah. but I, I, but the one thing we don't need to add to the list is where they're hearing stuff like that for the very first time, completely unprepared by their home or their church. And so, uh, so yeah. Mm, Well, I, I just love the, I guess the appearance shift of focus here, or, you know, we're talking about what's best for your child, but I'm, I'm encouraged and I guess challenged to, for the answer to be what's best is your, for your child is you as a parent to know your stuff and to be involved yep. um, and to take a more proactive role. So if like you're listening to this thinking, gosh, I don't know how to have these conversations with my kid. Like, okay, well, you've got homework too, then <laughs> you've got some things you've got to do and and that your children trust you. And so I think that that's a really encouraging. Yeah. And, and, and if a parent really like, like apologetic stuff um, and, and again, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think even at any point have I pushed any of my my books, but let me let me push two sure. that I think might be relevant. One uh, one for the parents, and then and then one that the parent well both for the parent, but one that you can give a child. Um, I wrote a book called A Mind for God that uh, will will help you know someone who's a Christian know how to develop this aspect of their spiritual life. But the second one was called Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians. And so if you really want an overview of of how to answer questions and deal with things of our, in our contemporary world, everything from sexual issues to, is there a God and is God a moral monster or not, or whatever, all the kinds of things being thrown at the Christian faith. How do I know the Bible's true and all that? This book was written for non-Christians, but I've been hearing from so many Christians that it was perfect for them to read for their themselves and know how to talk with their kids and others. So those two books, we'll link them in the show notes, but that they might be helpful resources. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, I have one more question because I feel like it would be, it wouldn't be a, a, a full conversation if we didn't consider teachers. Because I imagine we've got teachers who are listening in and teachers who really do want to make an impact for God, but they're really limited in what they're able to say, particularly if they're in a secular school setting. Or let's be honest, if they're just feeling burned out by all that they have to deal with in addition to academics, because it's crazy. What do you have a word for them? I wonder anything you would want to say to them. I do. God bless you. (laughs) And we need to be praying for you far more than we have been. And we need to be supporting you and encouraging you far more than we have been. And so forgive us. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've just have met so many teachers that just say, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and they're good people and they're not, they're not bailing because they're, 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 um, you know, snowflakes, they, 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 the school system itself is often broken where they're at. They're not getting the support they need. They're, they're not, their hands are tied in terms of what they would like to do in terms of education. They got into it for, with a passion. None of them knew they were, they all knew they weren't going to get rich doing this. So, you know, it was, so the ones that are quitting are often doing so with a real sense of, of defeat. And I feel bad for them. It's not necessarily their fault. Um, but uh, those that are still in there, you know, hang in there. We need you. Um, you know, and, you know, don't feel like, again, guilt or shame if you feel like you need to step away from that, uh, because there's all kinds of legitimate reasons why you should or answer another calling, but hang in there if that's still where you feel God calls you and you're just feeling discouraged. Um, and, and just realize that you are salt and light in a place that's desperately needing it. And remember what salt and light is. Uh, salt is what keeps the world from getting worse. Uh, you know, 
keep it from putrefying. Light is bringing truth where there is an absence of truth. And so you're working both in, in keeping things from decaying and you're bringing light to bear in the darkness. And so uh, please know that we, we you know, um, God bless you. <laughs> well, that's a great word to end on. So we'll leave it there for now. And then hopefully in future episodes, we'll tackle more of all of these other episodes that we said we're going, or topics that we said, we're going to do off another podcast episode on that. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.